I'd say the two biggest things to do from an education perspective are network and read. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, no one, that's not earth shattering news. What I would say though now is in a, in a post COVID world, networking is going to be different. And, you know, I think we need to talk about networking more because if you can't travel and see someone face to face, I, I think you need to be really skilled in how to network with people, the old school, you know, Hey, can I grab five minutes of your time for a cup of coffee? I, that might be gone and you might have to, you know, right. how, do you, how do you get that person to dial into zoom? Welcome to the wealth matters podcast where investors come together to better understand how to build passive cash flow and create generational wealth without all the confusing mumbo jumbo. Here's your host and co-author of Amazon number one bestseller, Alpesh Pamar. Welcome to Wealth Matters Podcast. I have with me Chris Ressa. Uh, Chris is focused on retail world. And with his dedication to solving real estate needs for entrepreneurs, coupled with his ability to thrive under immense pressure, Chris hasn't let the pressures of the world affect who has set out to be. No wonder he has been recognized by the chain store age for his achievements and made it to that 10 under 40, the dazzling dozen. I don't know, Chris, if I can do justice to your bio, so feel free to add. That was perfect. You're good. (laughs) So Chris, welcome. Thank you. Well, I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Tell us something interesting about yourself. Something funny, so, something which we wouldn't think of. <laughs> I'm a fantasy football nerd. I love oh, fantasy really? football. Oh, really? Okay, okay. How's it going now though, right? <laughs> I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Right. So uh, give me an idea. Why did you choose to be in real estate? I grew up uh, pretty... Uh, blue collar. I okay. wanted to, I went to college on a wrestling scholarship. Otherwise I wouldn't have been able to afford to go. Wrestling. Okay. Yes. So I went that, to that's actually interesting than fantasy football. <laughs> yes, I am. I am. Uh, I went to Rutgers university and okay. I wanted a job in quote unquote corporate America. I didn't know what, so I was looking at jobs in on Wall Street, I was looking in, you know, uh, different types of corporate business. And I, there was a recruiter on campus for the Sherwin Williams company, the paint stores Uh company. uh And they were looking for a corporate real estate professional. And someone who went out to find new stores, district offices, industrial warehouses, and they would go and, you know, and you were solving all the real estate needs for this fortune 500 company. It sounded really interesting. And so I moved to the Philadelphia area and mm-hmm. uh, worked out of their Malvern office. And I fell in love with, I got lucky. My first job, I fell in love with commercial real estate at the end of the day at Sherwin Williams, unbelievable company. That's uh, a paint company though. Yeah. I then realized I wanted my focus to be real estate and I ended up going and working for a company in New York called Ashkenazi Acquisitions, which is a company that owns and operates uh, retail real estate across the country. And that led me to DLC, and, I, uh, and that's where I've been since. So I got into uh, commercial real estate 
by chance uh, and just ended up falling in love with it. So uh, at least in my world, you know, that's how I landed in retail. Uh, I'm glad I stayed in retail. You know, I had the good fortune to see different types of real estate as a user at Sherwin-Williams of the real estate, not the investor, but the user and how they evaluate real estate needs, both from the retail perspective, the office perspective, the industrial perspective. And I realized I loved real estate, but wanted to get on the landlord and or developer side. And that's what I did. That's awesome. So what was your very first deal? Like first acquisition or very first real estate transaction? (laughs) My first real estate transaction was uh, in Matamoros, Pennsylvania. There was a strip center and I put a Sherwin-Williams in that uh, shopping center. Awesome. And what was the first deal for yourself? So, um, in a, you know, when I went to Ashkenazi acquisitions, I was always working for a different company, even at DLC. Um, you know, I'm a partner in DLC and we, you know, invest together. But, um, I would say for me personally, uh, the personally with no partners, no anybody was a duplex in Phillipsburg, New Jersey that was uh that i rent out and i still own today oh wow nice so so you do have some residential um, properties as well so why did you uh now that i understood that of course you learned about commercial real estate from sharon williams but why did you pick up retail like strip malls and shopping centers or why did you continue to be in that area so when i when i was at sharon williams i was looking at um you know I was involved in retail. I was involved in office. Um, they had, you know, industrial and retail to me was much more complicated. It is not, it is much more than a pro forma. <laughs> like the, right. You're talking about, you know, the real estate has to work based on the, the revenue of the tenants there. And so right. you have to really understand how, co-tenancy works and does when this user goes next to this user, do their sales go up? Um, When, you know, why is this corner better than the corner across the street versus like, you know, I need an office, whether it's on this corner or that corner probably doesn't make a lot of difference in suburban America. Right. And so the complexities and the strategy and the different ways to create value uh, were so much more intriguing to me. Got it. So like anchor tenant as well, right? You must, you have to look for yeah. an anchor tenant. Okay. So uh, what are the going cap rates in retail space, especially where you are investing right now? So what I would say about retail is one of the more interesting things. And if you thought about it, right. And most people don't is there are so many different product types in retail. Okay. And if you look at, the public REITs, you can see this, there are a myriad of different public REITs in retail. There's so many because every product type is different, right? So you have enclosed malls, right? And think of yes. any retailers in an enclosed mall, whether that's Macy's or, yes. or Victoria's <laughs> Secret or Bath and Body Works. But if you, if you think about them, you don't really see them in your neighborhood grocery anchored center, right? Right. You don't, right? Because, and that's a different product type. Yeah. So you have a grocery center, yep. 
which is a different product type than the true triple net lease freestanding building, which is a different product type than an outlet center, which is a different product type than a power center, power center being like a Walmart, TJ Maxx, Bed Bath & Beyond, okay. Dick's Sporting Goods. They, they're all the same industry, but very different businesses right. and how to operate those properties. And so when you think about cap rates, they all trade differently. Right. One of the biggest things that, you know, there's a couple of things that determine cap rates, right? You have the, you know, the credit worthiness of the tenants. Right. Yes. You have the unit economics, meaning how well does the, do those tenants do in that center? Mm. That plays a, right? Right. So when you're buying retail real estate, you have to understand sales, right? I, I have, you know, I know what the average sales are of a Starbucks, of a TJ Maxx, right? And so even though they have a 10-year lease and you have the corporate entity, you want to know the unit economics. How well does that location do and how is it done over time? You need to know, so you have the credit worthiness, you have unit economics. You need to understand, you know, just the location itself. What is the, how good is that location? And so there's all these things that go into cap rates. So, and the market itself, right? You know, so right. in, I would tell you that cap rates are all over the board in retail. Okay. <laughs> all so, over the board. So it's not like multifamily or mobile home park that you exactly know. You even, yeah, as soon as you look at the, you know, sub market or the metro, you exactly know, okay, Dallas, it's four to five, right? If it's California, it. three to four, but it's okay. not that. You could have yeah. two grocery anchor centers across the street in the same market trade at very different cap rates. Okay. Okay. And also there are other variables like triple net lease or double net, right? So you got that, it. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So how- That's what makes it fun though. I like that it's not <laughs> yes. cookie cutter. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. That's good. It's not boring. <laughs> well, I also think that's where you, you know, the, the more information you gather and more data you gather and the more you know, the more you could take advantage and the more- fragmented the market is the more opportunities there are right. the more the more programmatic and cookie cutter the market is it's it's much harder to find you know um a that value creation piece i see so um how do you evaluate a deal right so let's say a deal come comes across your desk i'm pretty sure you have an entire team who is evaluating but what yeah. what do you look for in a deal so do you want me to get specifically like to our business strategy or do you want me to just like generally evaluating real estate deals? Yeah. Let, let's talk about generally and then I may have a question and we can dig deep. So I think generally evaluating, you know, and I'll look at retail real estate deals. I mean, the first thing, you know, we, we always start wide and work our way down. Right. Okay. So the, we were first evaluating, like I think everyone in commercial real estate is evaluating the market, right? And we're looking at job growth. What are the, what are the employment drivers? We're looking at um, population growth. We're looking at housing growth. We're looking at all the typical things that anyone looks at from a market perspective. Are there universities where healthcare systems, all those types of things roadways, geographic barriers, all those typical things, right? Is, you know, what is the right side of the river to be on? You know, th those type of things. We're looking at 
all the geographic and all the market things that most people look at. Um, and then what I, what I would say on the, on the, you know, evaluation of the deal, I think we're looking at, you know, it's more than just the pro forma. And I think, you know, that's the, one of the biggest keys is if it's just the numbers and there's not more to it, I'm concerned. There has to be the intangibles and the opportunities outside of the numbers. Otherwise, um, I'm less excited. So, <laughs> you know, those intangibles, you know, have to be able to, you know, and that's those intangibles lead to your, you have your base case and then your upside case. And if the intangibles are there for your upside, right, you have information, right, you, whatever that is, you, you know that in what the market doesn't, that in three years, Amazon's going to build a distribution facility and there's going to be 2,000 more jobs. Right. That's an intangible, right, that you, you've got wind and you can use that fragmentation to, you know, um, leverage the market. If you're just looking at deals and looking at the pro formas, then it's, I think it's challenging to do that because that's what everybody's doing. It's a very competitive yes, marketplace. Exactly. Right. And so, um, you know, but I would go back to what we were, we were talking about before we're looking at, as it relates to retail, we're looking at in the market, are there, are there tenants who are missing? Right. So are there uses or are missing? We'll take, we'll, you know, we'll do a, we'll take a gap analysis, which looks at the retail, the retail spend in that trade area and then look at, okay, is there a gap? Is there more demand for certain retail items than is actually being offered in this market? So is there demand, you know, we'll look at uh, the, from the property level, just who we can, we have software systems and we'll run a void analysis to know that these national retailers are missing from the market. These local types of uses, there's demand for them uh, in the market. We will then look at the, you know, the lease terms of the leases, right? Uh, how stable and durable are the cash flows, right? So we're running risk, right? We have our watch list of tenants of who we oh, think is, okay. right? We know from what's going on, watch list of tenants of who might file soon for bankruptcy, who might not, um, who's poised for growth, who's owned by private equity, which is, you know, could be a challenge, who's public, who's private. And so we're going to look at the durability of that cash flow and use our own model to evaluate that durability of the cash flow stream. We're going to look at the vacancy because the vacancy is all upside in our model. We don't pay for vacancy. So we right. are right. So that's the, you know, we want some meat on the bone to leverage the platform to, to drive vacancy. We're going to look at, are there other future development opportunities? That's a big piece for us when we're evaluating a deal. Are we able to develop a pad for Starbucks or McDonald's in the front of the center? Um, are there restrictions? What are the, the zoning requirements? Um, all those type of things. I'm, you know, I mean, no, yeah, no, this is, these are the types of things we're looking at. This is not, I, I, I didn't have uh, my, you know, no, we this have is our due diligence checklist. I don't, I don't right. have my due diligence checklist in front of me, but these are the types of things we're looking at.
Oh, this is awesome. So do you uh, go through certain softwares or tools uh, to evaluate this? Of course, I'm pretty sure you have your own platform, but like publicly available, like CoStar, et cetera. So yeah, what I would say is we, you know, the, I think one, relationships matter. Okay. So oh, yes. <laughs> nothing more important than, you know, uh, the market knowledge from relationships. So that's the, the, the number one tool is really, you know, and I wouldn't call relationships as a tool, but I would say is like, you need to have relationships in order to make um, to, the anecdotal information is as important as the empirical data. Uh, we run our models through Argus. That's what we're running our models mm -hmm. through. Okay. Um, we use Placer AI, which yes. uh, tracks traffic to properties. Yep. Um, those are probably two of the biggest software tools that we use. We run, we use Credit Intel, which is a software that it's a platform. They actually advertise on our podcast and they okay. monitor the financial health of retailers, but they can also do things like I type in a, an address and they'll tell me, it'll tell me in one button what national retailers are not in the market, which national retailers have announced to the street that, you know, they have an open to buy in these markets and things like that. I see. No, that that's great. Hey, so what are some of the gotchas to keep in mind while underwriting retail space, right? And of course it would depend on, you know, uh, type of asset as well in retail, but what are some of the gotchas for someone who is starting or let's say I'm, I'm planning to acquire a strip mall. What, what should I look at? Why? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. Here, here's one gotcha. I'll give you one that I constantly teach our team. The, who the signatory on the lease is. Oh, okay. So, right. So you're buying a income stream and you're basing a cap rate based on the durability of that income stream. Right. And therefore you better understand where that income's coming from. And a lot of times, right. If you think of, you know, multinational corporations, right. In general, when I sign a lease with Starbucks or Walmart or TJ Maxx, you get the entire right. company uh, signs the lease. You sign a lease with Google or Facebook, you should have Google on the alphabet on the lease, hopefully or at least alphabet as a guarantor, hopefully. Yes. But if they have it in some separate LLC and you don't have a guarantee, uh, well then you really don't have Walmart or Dollar Tree. You've got the name on the front of the building. Uh, I see. But if they don't pay you rent and you go to, you go to court to sue, there's, no, there's nothing there. So I think understanding the entity, and you see this in a lot, I think, in, in my world with franchise-driven I was going to mention that franchises right? is where you would see this. <laughs> you see this a lot because some investors may think that you have the corporate entity on the lease where you just have the franchisee. The franchisor is not guaranteeing the lease. Mm -hmm. and, so, and so, you know, the, you, you might have a guy who only has three locations where you thought you had the 20,000 that Dunkin' Donuts has. Makes sense. No, that's a, that's a great uh, tip. So can you talk about your best deal at, at DLC so far? <laughs> um, best. I mean, we've had a lot of successes. I think that 
you know, the one I'm most proud of recently is, you know, in Vernon, Connecticut, we had a, uh, a property that was upside down with its mortgage. Okay. And the loan was coming due. We, and it was upside down and the property was 90% leased. So typically if the, the property is upside down and you have vacancy, you can, you can, you can solve it through leasing. Right. There's no, there's no income to add mm-hmm. unless you do something major. So we had a bunch of things working on. We had one, we were working with um, the lender to try to buy the mortgage out. Okay. We were we at a discount and then we were working to restructure our own internal capital stack to bring in a partner. Mm-hmm. And then we had a, a ticking time bomb, which we had an anchor tenant and, and the, the lending world knew that didn't want to be there. And while they were credit worthy and we're going to pay the rent for the balance of their seven year lease term, we were challenged by the fact that everyone knew at that point they would go and they might go dark and pay the rent during that time period, oh. which could impact the balance of the tenancy in the center. Right. And so what we ended up doing was bringing, we were able to work a termination with that tenant simultaneously while signing a lease with the new anchor ShopRite and HomeSense, who is um, a TJX concept, which owns TJ Maxx, Home Goods, oh, Marshalls. Okay. And so all these things came together at once, which was buying out our existing lender, bringing in a new partner, signing a termination agreement with a anchor grocer, bringing in two new anchor tenants all at one time. Nice. So nice. really, really hard to accomplish. Oh, and yeah. uh, that was the beginning of last year. And now we're in a much better leveraged position. We have the right capital stack and we have a great tenancy and we actually just finished our construction this year in bringing in ShopRite and HomeSense. Actually, ShopRite opened, which is the grocer out here, right before yes. the pandemic. So when they opened, they actually had you know much higher sales than they had originally forecasted because of the panic buying the beginning. So oh, they were yes. off to a good start. And actually, most of the grocers, are, they are doing good for even yeah. after the panic because everyone yeah. is still trying to hoard, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that's great. What was your worst deal, if there was any? Of course, everyone's got bad deals. <laughs> yeah, you got to. That's the, that's the education, right? <laughs> you have to have bad deals. The worst deal. Um, you know, I would say that, you know, we, we owned a mall in Ohio. And, you know, there's a lesson here. And we were not an enclosed mall buyer. The enclosed mall business and the open air, call it strip center business, are same industry because it's like retail, but totally different. Totally business. different. They are dying. But malls yeah. are dying. And <laughs> so we, you know, we were buying when malls were doing this, when malls were doing well. And this mall was challenged before the challenges of malls had happened. And it was, we were seduced by the price. The, the seller kept lowering the price uh, and lowering the price to a point where on paper, it just seemed like you couldn't lose. And uh, it was a mall in Steubenville, Ohio. And uh, we could not bring it. The market forces just would not let our 
you know, platform, you know, leverage the platform to, you know, enhance that property. And so that was a lesson on probably, you know, at the end of the day, um, the don't be seduced by the price. I see. That's a, that's a great point. So let's take a quick break. And after the break, we'll continue with the fire round. You're listening to the Wealth Matters Podcast. The Wealth Matters Podcast. For more info about what we do, check us out at wealthmatters.com. It's wealth, W-E-A-L-T-H, matters, M-A-T-R-S, dot com. Welcome back to Wealth Matters Podcast. I'm chatting with Chris Ressa, who is also the host of Retail Retold Podcast, which I forgot to mention. So I highly recommend anyone interested in uh, learning more about retail, definitely listen to his podcast. Uh, so Chris, uh, after the break, usually I go through the same set of questions with the guest. It's called Fire Round. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, let's go. And, and I think this is also one of the questions I really want to know about retail. Would you be changing any business or investment strategy after coronavirus? So on, you know, business strategy, I think one of the things that we are looking at is more M&A deals versus just one-off properties. Okay. Uh, there seemingly, there might be a dislocation there more than there is at an asset level. So that's one from that perspective. Because uh, right now, even regardless of what, has happened. And I think this is the case in everything in every asset class. There's still a, you know, there's, there's, I think we're going to look at the end of the year and look at the transactions in every asset class, not just in real estate in everything between April and call it September is going to be one of the lowest transaction volumes right. that we have. Right. And I think that one of the big reasons is, is because if you're a buyer of any asset, in any industry, whether you're in the airplane industry, you're in the real estate industry, you're in the tech business, you're looking for COVID pricing. Yes, of course. And, and sellers in general know that and not necessarily prepared to give it at COVID pricing unless they are forced to sell for some other circumstance. Right. And so I think that's creating low transaction volume in the world, in all assets. And so uh, you have that. And I think that when, you know, so on an asset level, I think for real estate, it's still, there's this bid ask issue. And so one of the things that, you know, we're looking at is, you know, it, it seems that when you roll up to an organizational level, there is a little bit more dislocation. I see. So, uh, but have you got any impact on your portfolio because of all this? Because I'm pretty sure oh, retail, yeah. retail strip malls, they were shut down. Of course. Of course. So uh, fortunately, you know, there was a new word that me being in retail, you know, the government's made up, which was essential retail. Yes. And, and, and so that, you know, I've heard every word in the world, department store, discount department store, value off price but uh this was the first i've heard yes. of this word and <laughs> and all those other words you know my industry created this was created by the government yeah and fortunately 
first time. <laughs> Fortunately, we had a lot of essential retailers. That's true. And so those tenants typically paid. Um, and, uh, but that, yeah, rent collections are off, um, uh, yes. for sure. You know, we are at 93% for April. Okay. We're down, you know, we're in the seventies for May and June. Wow. And wow. so we're, we're, we're down, but the ones that haven't paid, we're working on cutting deals with those tenants. Okay. What I would tell you is outside of some public national bankruptcies to date, and I think we'll see as PPP money runs out and things have happened, yes. things happened. We haven't had the fallout of vacancy that mm-hmm. uh, headline news is calling for. Right. Yeah. I'm surprised. I, as well. I, I think, I think government has helped in that regard. Oh, for sure. I was very surprised how quickly they came up with that much money. Yeah. You know, how quickly all of them agreed, which is, yeah, which is unheard of. Or I but from seen. an, I th- our biggest changes have not been from investment strategy and business strategy have been operationally. Okay. Right. You know, our biggest changes have been right. You know, I have 120 uh, employee company and we're all working oh, remotely. Yes. We have properties all over the country. And so getting to those assets is challenging. Yes. We have, uh, you know, we've now, one of the interesting things is in retail. At the end of the day, there are very few companies that can, the myth about retail, here's the myth. And I think this is the punchline. The myth is that it's cheaper to be an online business than it is to be a brick and mortar tenant. Yes, and yeah, that's what I even thought of. <laughs> and so that that's the myth. It's easy to start up. If Alpesh and Chris decided we wanted to sell t-shirts, right. it's cheaper for us to start online. Startup costs are cheaper. But as you scale, it gets vastly more expensive. To set up infrastructure and distribution across oh, the right. country and deliver the product Typically at a company, they get about 10 million in revenue where they have to get to multiple markets. It gets very cost prohibitive. And most, I mean, it took Amazon and there's still question today. They actually profit off of the selling of retail goods. It took them 20 years to get to profit. Oh and, yeah. And right. And so, and you look at Wayfair, they lose money every month. There's no yep. doubt consumer behavior has changed and we're not blind to that. We understand that. And I'm long on retail, but I think there's something at the end of the day when you, you can only lose money for so long, eventually investors and VC firms want to make money. And that's why you saw a lot of digitally native brands starting to open up brick and mortar stores. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's, and so when I bring it back to um, what, what, what has changed, one of the things that happened that started pre pandemic was this buy online pickup in store. Oh yes. And the increase, you know, about pre-pandemic, about 15% of uh, retail sales were done online. During the pandemic, it was about 30%. Right. So it, what would have took five years happened in about- In, in three months. Three months. <laughs> but that, I think the key is, I think we're going to find out that the majority of that increase in sales was fulfilled at a store. Yes. Whether by buy online, pick up in store, because it's just cheaper for- 4,000 products to go to one store than it is for 4,000 products to go to 4,000 different right. households. Right. And so in a place where the consumer's craving value at some point, you know, you know, Amazon spent 
$4 billion on shipping in Q1. And so I think at the end of the day, at some point, you know, you have to solve what they call the last mile. And I'm hopeful, and you mentioned what has changed. Probably the biggest change operationally has been buy online, pick up in store. And so we've had to set up things at the centers, you know, parking right. spots where customers can come yes. and, and, and wait in the, the car. Yeah. Wait in the car for the product to be delivered. Right. And that could be the solve where it's convenient. I want a product right now. I order it on my phone. I drive by the shopping center. I park and they pick it up. And if I'm the retailer, if I can actually get them to go in the store, which most of them do, they go in the store, the ancillary purchase that's made that's after a, that that's is very one. accretive. Yep. Yeah, that's a big one. No, thank you. So buy you. online, pick up in store is one of the biggest operational changes. That's awesome. Favorite real estate or finance or any other related book? Uh, you know, I don't have one that's uh, really, I, I, I read a ton. I don't have one that's really earth shattering. You know, for me, it's Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. So. Yeah, it's, it's like almost more than 50% of my guests, yeah. including me. <laughs> Any tool or website you recommend or you can't live without? I can't live without. <laughs> I, LinkedIn. Yeah. LinkedIn. Follow me on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. Ressa on real estate is my hashtag. I, 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 you know, I'm on LinkedIn every day. So awesome. Any advice for beginner investors? Um, yes. You know, they're the two, you know, and Robert Kiyosaki talks about this all the time, which I, I would say the two biggest things to do from an education perspective are network and read. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, no one, that's not earth shattering news. What I would say right. though now is in a, in a post COVID world, networking is going to be different. And, you know, I think we need to talk about networking more because if you can't travel and see someone face to face, I, I think you need to be really skilled in how to network with people, the old school, you know, Hey, can I grab five minutes of your time for a cup of coffee? I, that might be gone and you might have to, you know, right. how, do you, how do you get that person to, dial into zoom yes oh that's a, that's a great point how do you give back one of the things that helped me uh more than most in my life has been the sport of wrestling so i volunteered you know structurally volunteered coaching uh a lot uh you know for a decade i was a coach as my career uh, grew, I couldn't formally coach, but I right. still help out uh, in the wrestling community as often as I possibly can. Thank you. That's amazing. How can my listeners reach out to you? So you can follow me on LinkedIn and reach out to me there. Ressa on real estate. It's R-E-S-S-A. Uh, you can you know, listen to the Retail Retold podcast, which if you're interested in some deal structures and we talk a lot about development on that show and commercial development, so you can get that, but it's the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. Got it. Awesome. Thank you. I had fun, Chris. Have Thank a great you so day. much. You Take too. Care. Thanks for listening to the wealth matters podcast. If you enjoyed it, 
please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes so others can enjoy the show too. Have a great week and happy investing!